0: do we need to forgive? If there wasn't forgiveness in the world, God wouldn't even forgive us. Forgiveness is like giving somebody a second chance, and God always wants us to give us second chances to other people. Because otherwise, if we didn't forgive, we might lose all our friends, because we would just say, I'm not your friend. You're not my friend anymore. You did something wrong. You messed up my stuff, and then everybody would have no friends except Imagine they were friends. It's hard to follow the kids. Let me let me pray here for just a second, Father. As we. Look in your word this morning, we do so dependent on you. We know you need, we need your spirit, Father, to understand the things you would have us know. And forgiveness is a big one. So as we look in your word this morning, would you grant us to see and hear and know and understand the things you mean for each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, that was cute. Kids are hard, hard to follow. And obviously we're talking about forgives us this morning. Listen to these words from King David. Uh, This is from Psalm 51, certainly one of his most plaintive and perhaps heartfelt of psalms. And this psalm followed his great sins of adultery and then murder against Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. And afterwards, David prayed this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are justified in your words, you are blameless in your judgment. You notice when David had sinned, when he went to God, he said, God, it's against you, you only, I have sinned. That sounds a little strange to our ears because it sounds as if he's minimizing what he'd done. Are we okay on the sound? He'd minimized uh, what he had done to people to Bathsheba and to her husband Uriah. David's not saying he hadn't wronged other people, but David got an important principle that I think we, even as Christians, often fail to perceive, and it's this. God is the one who is ultimately always most sin against. David understood that a transgression against another person is not just a fault that we committed against that person, it is first and foremost, it is primarily a sin against God himself. We owe God something. We owe God everything. So whatever our sin is, even if it's against directly another person, David said that sin is first and foremost always against God himself. God is always ultimately the one that is sinned again. David knew that and understood that. And I think in the culture and in the age in which we live, not necessarily true across the board for us as Christians, but the age in which we live sort of engenders an an attitude or a thought that we're somehow autonomous. There's a kind of vanity in the world that says, God may or may not be, but I owe God no more or no less than I determined to be the case. And I think even we as Christians in the church, it's easy to take on some of that thought that sin is somehow less an issue between God and us and maybe it's a little moral thing that I need to work on or it's just a little fault against someone else. But David says, no, it's always against God that we sin. God is always and ultimately the one most sinned against. We're in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, in the fifth of six messages in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' Model Prayer. We'll read those verses, and then we'll part on verse 12 this morning. So this is from the ESV. Jesus told His disciples, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be Your name. Your kingdom come, ultimately the kingdom of Jesus himself. Your will be done on earth in the same way it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us the things we need today. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Real brief summary on where Jesus has taken us In this model, we started with God, God as Father, that relationship through renewal, through faith in Christ in which God becomes our Father. We saw that holiness was the first thing on God's mind and that He's high and lifted up, exalted in heaven, and we need to reflect that. And our first prayer petition was that God's holiness would be manifest. Jesus told us to pray that His kingdom would come, and that has all kinds of permutations. Ultimately, though, ending in Jesus' eternal kingdom. And then when we got into the personal petitions, the first one was just that God would give us the needs directly in front of us. Today's bread, today's needs and necessities. And this morning we move into the arena of sin, the issue that sin is between God and us. So this is the second of the three personal petitions in Jesus' model. You know that when you get into the arena of an issue like forgiveness, this is so big, it's so wide, it's so deep, there's so many issues that could potentially be covered, and we're not going to cover most of them this morning. You could have series of series on the issues of forgiveness. So we're going to stay pretty compact in this, pretty much related just to Jesus' use of these in this prayer. So if I don't say something that you consider important, if you feel better, tell me about it later, but we've got to stay pretty narrow here this morning. So verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And just to define terms so we know what we're talking about, we're all on the same page, forgive in the language of the Greek New Testament simply means to walk away from something. The implication is that we're, we're leaving something behind. So in the context of forgiving someone a debt or God forgiving us, something that we did has been left behind. By another. That's forgiveness. We've released them from it, or we have been released from whatever that debt was. And a debt is simply something that is owed someone else. It's what we owe God, or it's what we owe someone else, or what they owe us. Some translations say sin or trespass, but the thought is, clearly, the thought is a debt. Something should have been paid, and it wasn't. I stand in debt or in arrears to God or to someone else. So, first point, forgive us our debts, or as we go to God in prayer, remember this is all about the context of prayer, this is what we do or say when we get before the Lord. Uh, We are praying essentially, Lord, free us from the debt, or the debts, we owe you. Lord, forgive us, take our debt and make it go away somehow, please. Forgive us our debts, assumes God is owed something. Now I know in this room, I know most people buy this already, but the culture in which we live has this uh, fancy, fanciful thinking, vain imagination, the scripture might call, that somehow you and I are autonomous, we're self-sufficient, we're self-existent, that somehow we arrive full-blown and we have no tie to anyone or anything else we're autonomous, we can do as we please, morality is what I choose to say it is, right and wrong is what I say it is. And you know, this is just ridiculous really at its base, isn't it? You and I, everyone in this room, no matter how old we are, youngest to oldest, we're just very, very recent arrivals on the earth, aren't we? Blink of an eye is our lifetime here. So we didn't get here on our own, right? By our own fiat, we're not here. We We got here through our parents, right? And they got here from their parents. And you trace that generation to generation back in time. We all got off the boat with Noah, right? Noah and his family, those are our direct ancestors. But of course, Noah, generation to generation back, going back all the way to the creation account in the early chapters of Genesis, back to Adam and Eve. So how did Adam and Eve get here? Well, of course, they're the crowning achievement of God's creation of the heavens and the earth. So Adam and Eve are created by God. So they belong to God. God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and earth belong to him. Adam and Eve, the direct creation of God himself, they belong to him. Their descendants belong to God. Guys, we're not our own. We belong to God. And even if we don't recognize it like so much of the world around us, we still belong to God. Which means, in a sense, we live every day in God's debt. We owe God our existence. And we owe God the things God expects of us. To live consistent with His will. So we are not autonomous beings deciding what we will or should or shouldn't do. We belong to God Himself. And we owe God our life and our breath and our thoughts and our actions. We live every day in God's debt. We are His. Can you imagine if you're uh, living in this world and you enjoy the things... God's put here for us, and one day you stand before God, and you've never been reconciled through Christ. You've never acknowledged God's existence. Paul talks about this in Romans 1. And one day you see the Creator of heaven and earth, and you face Him as a judge, and you give an account. You know, if we think of accounting, we look at a balance sheet or a ledger, And if we stand before God without Christ, we have a a ledger, a balance sheet, and everything's in arrears. There are debts that have never been paid. There are debts that have never been covered. And those debts, those sins, those transgressions in David's word against God, those are going to consign us to the place where debtors go. Sort of God's version of a debtor's prison, if you will. You know, as Christians, as those who've come to know God as Father, the way this model prayer began, we've come to God through faith in Christ. And when we stand before God, we'll still give an account, but it'll be a different kind of an accounting. Paul talks about this as the judgment seat of Christ, where God looks at a balance sheet, but it's a different kind. It's, it's how do we use the life he gave us on earth? Because he wants to reward us. That judgment has nothing to do with heaven or hell. It's simply the rewards the king gives his citizens when he comes and reigns. Or it's the rewards of a father for his children. Hey, junior, you did well and I want to reward you. Here are your rewards. But if we stand before God with our ledger sheet, not covered by Christ's blood, there, there's no father to face. There's only a judge. It would be a fearful Fearful thing indeed. That we owe God our life and our breath and all that we are, that's a given in Jesus' model prayer. And also that we will sin and therefore need forgiveness, need debts covered, is also assumed in Jesus' model prayer. James says this in James 3, 2, We all stumble in many ways. Stumble means morally, I fell down. I didn't stand up. I wasn't upright before God. Morally, I fell down. Or in 1 John 1 verse 8, John said it this way, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. We sin. We incur debt to God. That's all assumed in Jesus' model. And so he tells us to acknowledge those debts before God. And this would be on a regular basis, wouldn't it? If we use Jesus' model sort of as a norm, we're praying every day for that day's needs. Well, if we're praying every day for the needs of the day, we would also be praying every day about our debts, our sins, our transgressions, the ways in which we've blown it. So this means we'd be sinning a lot. We'd need forgiveness a lot every day assumed in Jesus' model. Now, if you talk to non-Christians and you say God's holy and He's righteous and He judges sin, there's often an attitude, an assumption about God that He is somehow kind of a killjoy and He's mean-spirited, He's small-minded because I'm just having fun. You know, why does God have to be so harsh and judgmental? But if Jesus' model prayer invites us, recommends to us that we approach God daily for forgiveness, what must that tell us about God? If Jesus says, go to God and ask for forgiveness, that must mean that God wants to forgive. Does that make sense? We're invited to ask for forgiveness, so that must mean God wants to forgive us. And in fact, biblically, scripturally, God's just waiting for us to approach Him with these debts we incur so He can forgive us. God longs to be merciful to us. Back in Isaiah's day, uh, the nation of Israel, they weren't trusting God. They weren't living in covenant faithfulness to God. And so they were making political and military alliances with the nations around them rather than trust God. And God's patiently waiting for them to just turn around and and come back to him. And the nation would eventually be judged, of course, taken into captivity. But listen to what Isaiah told the nation of Israel. This is the same attitude God had then, same attitude he has towards us today. Through Isaiah, God says, Therefore Yahweh waits to be gracious to you. He exalts Himself, He honors Himself by showing mercy to you. For Yahweh is a God of justice. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as He hears it, He answers you. Does this sound like a small-minded vengeful god no it's god's just waiting you know if there's something between us and god it compromises our relationship and isaiah tells us no he's just waiting cuz he longs to give us mercy and forgiveness he longs to cancel the debt so our relationship is good to go he's not stingy he's not mean-spirited he's not small-minded God's just saying, guys, I'm, I'm here, I'm waiting, and I long to show you mercy. I long to cover your debt. If you find yourself in life where you feel spiritually dull, or you feel condemned, or you feel marginalized or somehow on your own, or if it seems one bad thing, one difficult thing after another is hitting you, This isn't always the case, but it's a good question to ask before the Lord. Lord, is there a sin issue between me and you? In other words, are you allowing things to occur in my life to get my attention because I'm allowing something to remain unconfessed and unforgiven and you're bringing my attention to it? So oftentimes in life, we experience God's discipline as He gets our attention So we'll come to him and we'll confess those sins so we can be forgiven. The presumption is always there that God wants to forgive us. So if I'm feeling really challenged or marginalized in life, and I don't know why, I'm not sure why, I can sure ask God, Lord, is there an issue between me and you? Sometimes we know there is. We don't need to ask the question. We know God's getting our attention. But oftentimes in life, if we're not where we want to be, if we find ourselves in a place in life in which we don't sense God's blessing and we're wondering what's going on, one of the questions we can ask, doesn't mean this is always the case, but one of the things we can ask, Lord, is there a sin issue between me and you and you're getting my attention? So Jesus tells us we belong to God. We live in God's debt every day. And when we don't discharge our responsibilities to God, it's like a debt. And we come to God our Father in prayer, we acknowledge that, and He's quick to forgive us, and we move on. Now, notice that in Jesus' model, and it's interesting, He's intentionally tied it together this way. He could have just said, go to God and ask that your sins be forgiven. God will forgive you. But He ties it to this second clause. Forgive us, Father, our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. God, forgive us as, or in the same way, we forgive others. So there's at least a couple points here. Jesus knows we will sin against others. We will sin against each other. We're going to have forgiveness issues horizontally, just as we do vertically. It also assumes that we should not go to God in prayer asking his forgiveness if we're not willing to extend that same forgiveness to others. In the model prayer, Jesus ties receiving God's forgiveness to giving our forgiveness to others, horizontal between God and us, or excuse me, vertical between the Lord and us, horizontal between ourselves and others. Uh, you and I can't enter a day of our life on this earth. We can't draw breath and not sin. You know, every day in thought, word, deed, action, you name it. You know, as Christians, we have a new nature. It never sins. It's, it's like Jesus himself. But we also have a sinful nature still with us. Paul talks about sort of the battle of this in Galatians 5. You know, there are opposing forces within us. And guys, every day we draw breath, we nod to our old sinful nature and we sin. There's no getting around it. It's an unhappy thought, but if it's a given that we sin every day, it's a given that we'll sin against the people we interact with and they will sin against us. It's a given. And I would argue probably, this is one of the biggest hang-ups Christians have. I mean, I'm faithful Christians. Christians have been around the block forgiving other people the sins that have been incurred against them, it's a huge, huge issue. I mean, in my brief life, and as a Christian for uh, a few decades and change, I think, um, I can't tell you. Churches have folded. Friendships have been broken up. uh, Fellowship is gone. All for the lack of We, as Christians, forgiving other Christians. And that's Jesus. This is the norm. This is just a given in his prayer. But, I mean, if you, in your own mind, just think back a little bit, ask yourself, how many friends that I used to have do I not have anymore because one or the other of us was offended and there was no forgiveness? Or, if I look back in my church history, what's been the hits to Christ's church? Because people haven't forgiven other Christians. And by the way, when you see sin as an issue rise up in a church, guys, it's never just about the individuals involved. It's always about Christ's church. That when a sin is brought up in a church, Satan is always after the church. It's never just the individual. It's never just the Christian. Which is why in church discipline and other cases, you have to be so careful because the church is always the target. Satan's after taking Christ's testimony off the earth, and that's the church. So it's for lack of we as Christians forgiving each other that so much damage and division occurs in the church today. In your life and mine, a lack of forgiving other Christians as Christ commands. We are going to sin against others, others are going to sin against us. It's a given jesus says and so we've got to live with that as a mentality we can't be surprised by this you know within your nuclear family the family you grew up with or the family you're growing up in today you sort of you know it's a given i really can't escape my family or i'm too young i'm I'm not living on my own yet i can't get away and so we're willing to put away differences with family members because they're sort of a have-to factor But with other Christians, we think it's an option to forgive or not. It's not an option. And as Jesus points out next, to the degree that we refuse or are unwilling to forgive others, we are held captive to our own debt in our relationship with God Himself. This is very, very clear. And it's not just here. We'll look at a couple other places. If you and I are unwilling to forgive others their sins, There's an issue between the Father and us as long as that remains in place. It's there. So we're going to sin against each other. That's a given. It's forgiveness given and forgiveness received that allows us to continue on in relationships. God means to be blessings. We will sin against others. Others will sin against us. And it's only forgiveness that allows these relationships to continue with any semblance of health and blessing. This is just huge. It can't be overemphasized. Now, uh, we are giving others the forgiveness we desire God to give us. Depending on your translation, this may be stated either in past tense or in future or as an ongoing condition, So, uh, God, we ask you to forgive us because we've already forgiven others. Or it might say in your translation, forgive us as we are forgiving others. And it doesn't matter. The tense doesn't matter. What what matters is that they're directly linked. Lord, we're asking you to forgive us just as, in the same way, we are forgiving others. We are. We're committed to forgiving others. We're not coming to you hypocritically. Asking you to give us something, we refuse to give someone else. It's interesting that following, immediately following this model prayer, Jesus brings up the issue of forgiveness again. It doesn't end in the prayer. It continues. So in Matthew 6 at verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, If you forgive others, this is qualified, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. It's conditional. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, two things on this. This is not soteriology. This is not telling us how we become or don't become a Christian. When we are safe, when our debt is ultimately canceled by God, It's by God's grace, that's God's favor, through faith in Christ plus zero, plus nothing. Okay? This is not about getting saved or not saved. It is a relationship issue though. Can you imagine if you have children or kids, if you're still in the home, if a child goes to their parent and says, Dad or Mom, would you give me a sandwich? And you say, sure, I'll make you a sandwich. And you make two sandwiches and say, take this other sandwich to your brother or your sister. And they say, no, I won't take that sandwich. Would you give them the sandwich they want? You might make the point, right? If you're not willing to give your fellow this sandwich, why should I give you a sandwich? This This is hypocrisy. This isn't what we're going to do. So Jesus says, forgive, come to God with an attitude expecting your debt to be covered because you're also forgiving others. That you have an attitude of forgiveness towards others, it's a given. It's assumed. It's a given. Uh, Colossians 3.13, Paul puts it this way there. We should be forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven us so you also must forgive. It's not listed as an option. Paul says, you must forgive. Uh, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35 is the classic text on this. You remember very briefly the story. There's a king, and he's got a slave. And the slave owes him in today's currency billions of dollars. It's a debt, clearly, that can never be repaid. And the slave petitions the king... Have mercy on me, and I'll repay everything. Well, the king has mercy. He forgives the billions of dollars of debt that the slave could never have repaid anyway. That first slave goes out, and he finds a fellow slave who owes him thousands of dollars. Now, thousands is not insignificant. It's still a pretty significant chunk of change, but it's not even comparable to the billions of dollars the first slave has been forgiven. And that first slave refuses to forgive his fellow slave the pittance, the thousands. And when the other servants of the king hear what happened, they tell the king, and the king brings the first servant back in, that first slave, and he says, you wicked, wicked slave. I forgave you that whole debt, billions of dollars, and you refuse to forgive your fellow slave thousands of dollars? And he says, throw him in prison until he's repaid every last cent. And you know when that would be, of course, it would never be repaid. God really tightly connects the forgiveness we get from him as Christians relationally with our willingness to forgive others their debts against us. And if we refuse to forgive others their debts, we're held hostage to that we're going to lack intimacy with our Father because He's our common Father. He's their Father too. He loves them as much as He loves us. Or if they're a non-Christian, Jesus has died for their sins just like He's died for ours. So Jesus in the model prayer, God routinely very tightly connects giving and receiving forgiveness. And Jesus does that here in His model prayer. It's really hypocritical for us to go to God in prayer and say, Lord, please forgive me while I'm holding someone else hostage to the debt they've incurred to me. I want to put one qualifier in this this morning related to forgiveness. Um, And it's this, that forgiveness and reconciliation are not necessarily the same thing. Forgiveness... And reconciliation or restoration of relationships are not necessarily the same thing. When I forgive someone else, I walk away from the debt they owe me. I'm not holding it against them. I'm willing to live with the consequences of their sin. That does not necessarily mean that a relationship that has been fractured because of sin is fully restored. Restoration requires more than forgiveness, and we need to be careful on both sides of this. Some of us kid ourselves when we say, "I've forgiven that person, but you know, I just don't trust them yet." And they're really saying, "I, I don't forgive them." That's one side of this. The other side, though, is to tell ourselves, uh, "I've forgiven them," and so that means everything's the way it was before. I trust them just the way I trusted them before. Well, if trust has been broken, it takes time to restore that. Trust should never be given just freely. Trust is a a commodity that should be earned. So if we've interacted with someone, guys, this could be our spouse, (laughs) could be our friend, could be our children, our parents, the people we work with, we go to school with, it doesn't matter. If there's a relationship where trust has been significantly broken, That trust can't be restored in a moment. We can forgive and should forgive in a moment, but if a relationship has been fractured, it usually requires time to rebuild that. If trust is broken, it takes time to be restored. This is uh, written by Alan Johnson in a review of D.A. Carson's book called Love in Hard Places. He says, Forgiveness and reconciliation are to be distinguished In that, forgiveness is an obligation of love for all Christians, whereas reconciliation, while the desired end, can only be realized by the repentance of the offending party, and I would add, by trust rebuilt over time. Sometimes a person in an abusive relationship thinks as a Christian, as a good Christian, I need to forgive and that's good, But that also means I continue putting myself in the same scenario in which someone is going to abuse me. God's not requiring that. We live with the consequences of someone else's sin, but trust, broken relationships, usually will take time to be rebuilt. And we need to recognize that. Whichever side of this we're on, if I've sinned against someone else and I know I've broken their trust, I can't go up and say, trust me today the way you did yesterday. I can confess my sin to them and say, I realize I've hurt you and and I I want you to give me the chance to rebuild that trust humbly. Or if we're on the other side, we can say to someone else, hey, I do forgive you and I'm willing to, to live with the consequences of that sin on one hand, but I need you to know it's going to take time for me to warm back up or it's going to take time for me to feel that same sense of closeness or trust that I used to. That's just a given. So we don't want to confuse forgiveness with what is ultimately forgiveness as fruit, which, Lord willing, in this life, and if not, in eternity, is reconciliation and a full restoration of relationships. Back to King David for a minute. You remember, David pleads with God to forgive his sin, and God does. But David lived, and David's family lived with consequences from his sin, actually for generations to come. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean everything's put back the way it was. Rarely is that the case. Sometimes there are, uh, there are issues that continue on past the point of forgiveness. That's just the way of life on this earth. Now, what does the cancellation of our debts cost? If sin is a debt, and this is Jesus' terminology, sin is a debt, What does it cost to forgive sin? What does it cost God to forgive our sins? Jesus' model for prayer, informing us to ask God's forgiveness, infers both that God will forgive and that someone else must be picking up the tab. You know, in our sort of lives, we might say to someone else who sinned against us, don't worry about it. it. We're good. God can't say that because he's absolutely just. And God never sacrifices one element of his character for another. When God's merciful, when God forgives sin, he never does it at the expense of justice. So how does God cancel our debt? If sin must be covered, if the debt must be paid, how can God forgive us? So think back to the disciples when Jesus there, at the Sermon on the Mount is telling them this. Jesus knows That as he invites his friends, the disciples, to go to God the Father and ask for forgiveness, Jesus, who's telling them to do so, knows it's because he's paying their bill, right? When Jesus invites the disciples and you and I today to go to God and ask for forgiveness, he does so knowing he's paying the tab. He's picking up the bill. So when he tells them, pray, and we're praying in his name, it's at his expense. And he knows this when he tells them, ask for forgiveness. My father will give it because I'm paying your tab. I'm covering your debt. You know, we closed another series looking at the law, the ten words or ten commands, and we saw that, that the law of Moses, those ten words were put in the mercy seat covered by gold, and the gold itself was covered by blood, the blood of the sacrifices. And it was a, a very uh, image-rich way for us to see that our sins represented by the law were covered by Jesus' perfection and the offering He Himself offered for us in his death on the cross. So when Jesus says, go to God and ask for forgiveness, he says, I'm making it good for you. I'm paying your bill. I'm covering your debt. Do you remember the short letter to Philemon? One chapter, New Testament, easy to lose. Uh, The story there in Philemon, very briefly, is that Philemon's a wealthy guy... And he has servants, slaves, and one of them is named Onesimus. And Onesimus runs away from his master, Philemon. And he goes to Rome and he meets Paul, the Apostle Paul, in Rome. And he becomes a Christian through Paul. And Paul hears his story and Paul knows Philemon. And so Paul sends Onesimus back to his master Philemon with this letter. And he says, hey, uh, man, Onesimus, he's become a brother in Christ, and I hope you'll treat him now not just as a servant, but as a fellow brother in Christ. But Paul also says this, If he has wronged you at all, if Onesimus owes you anything, charge that to my account. Whatever he owes you, charge that to me, I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it, to say nothing of your own, owing me yourself as well. Now these words come from Paul, but put them in Jesus' mouth. Jesus says to the Father, Lord, whatever it is, charge their debt, charge that to my account. But he also turns around and says to us, Remember, you owe me your own life. I command you to forgive others. I'm paying your debt, big and small. I'm covering your tab. And you owe me your life, and I expect you to turn around and forgive others. Paul says, charge that to my account. That's exactly what Jesus does when he brings up this model. He's going to make it good through his sacrifice on our behalf. So... If Jesus invites us in his model prayer to receive and enjoy forgiveness at his expense, how could we think of not doing the same for others? These two are connected in the model prayer. For you and I praying daily, if we pray through this model, we are receiving God's forgiveness for our debts, and we are giving forgiveness to others on their debts. Let me close with another story from David's life. This is from 2 Samuel 14 through 18, these chapters. You know, David on one hand, I mean, he's the pinnacle of the kings, and he's a cautionary tale also. He's this example of godliness on one hand, and he's a cautionary story on another. So in 2 Samuel 14 through 18, very briefly, David's son Absalom, murdered his son, Amnon. Because Amnon had raped Tamar, their sister. After Absalom murdered Amnon, he fled. He fled Israel. And the days and the months went by, and Joab, the commander of the army, came to David and arranged a scenario where David would hear a story so that David would bring Absalom back, so that he'd forgive him. David says, okay, The trouble is, when Absalom is brought back, David actually doesn't forgive him. He refuses to see him. Absalom feels like, I might as well be in a distant country. He's angry, and he's embittered because his father said he'd forgive him, but won't. Hasn't. In his anger, he decides he's going to take the kingdom away from his father, King David. And he raises an army. And David and company flee Jerusalem. And in the battle that follows, Absalom is killed. And when David hears it, all he can think about is his son lost. And so even though he knows he's going to be restored to the throne, even though he knows the nation has been saved, all David can think about is his lost son, Absalom. And so he says over and over again, Absalom, my son, My son Absalom. It's regret. He would then at that point gladly give Absalom in death what he had not given him in life. Forgiveness. David had been forgiven the great sins of adultery and murder and he refused to do the same thing for his son Absalom. And it brought about disgrace and the death of many and rupture in the nation. And David, at the end of it all, says, I would gladly forgive my son today if he were still alive. I've lost my son. And the relationship that I said I was willing to restore, I really wasn't. And now it's too late. So, guys, on this thing of forgiveness, if we pray daily and we follow Jesus' model, forgiveness, the confession of our sins to God, and the receiving of that forgiveness, our debt covered, and granting others the forgiveness they stand in our debt to. This is the norm. Unforgiveness is a poison in a human being's soul that will eat away at us. It's a load we carry on our backs we cannot afford to carry. And Jesus, in this model prayer, there's not a lot of things covered in the model prayer, there's just a few. Three about God and three about us. And one of them is this issue of forgiveness, and it's key. Receiving forgiveness and granting forgiveness, leaving those debts behind, we're called to as a way of life every day when we pray in Jesus' model. Father, we thank you that our sins, and they are many, have been fully and adequately covered by the blood of your Son. Lord, help us not to be hypocritical or small-minded by refusing to give others the forgiveness we ourselves stand in need of. And Lord Jesus, in us and in your church, would you grant us more and more the grace of forgiving each other so that You are honored, so that Your church is holy and is built up and is the model to the world in the love and unity we show each other that You mean us to be. God, would You help us to live with this necessity in mind, this daily cleansing we receive before You as we confess our sins. And Lord, this liberation we practice with ourselves and to others each day as we forgive others their debts as well. In Jesus' name, amen.